Okay, so what I plan to do is uh, Rabbi tagged me in. We, uh, we are going to be talking about Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to stay within those boundaries. So what I want to do is uh, read a section of 32 at a time. I cannot read this whole chapter without commenting. There's just absolutely no way. And since this chapter has to do with wrestling, uh, we're not going to go down like the luchadors, but we are going to do the luchotadors. So some new wrestling moves, hopefully, will be experienced today. Uh, Genesis, Bereshit 32. Let's read the first few verses. It says, early in the morning, Levon got up and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Levon left and returned to his own place. Yaakov went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Yaakov saw them, he said, this is God's camp, and called that place Machanaim. Two camps. The first thing that stands out to me is the word met. The word met is, in Hebrew, paga. The root of that is pag. What does it mean? What does pag mean? It means an unripe fig. Something is unripe here. Okay. <clears throat> I want to share an insight with you. From the Mayam Loez. The Mayam Loez was written by Rabbi Yaakov Kuli. He's the one that got it started. And it was necessary because the people had just experienced a false Messiah. So he said, the only way we're going to be able to recover, recover from this uh, great fallacy that happened to our people is we need to bring the Torah down into their own language. That's why it's called me'am, the people's language, the people's tongue. So here's what he says here in uh, his, his notes. He quotes a, a targum, the targum Yerushalmi. These are not the troops of Esau or Laban coming to attack us. They are camps of holy angels which Hashem sent from on high to protect us from the likes of our enemies. Now here is a Bereshit Rabbah. This is also a Zohar from Noah and Vaera. That the angels, when they came, they were extremely happy. How many? 600,000. The preacher may come out just a little bit. I'm going to try to rein him in. But... It, it may happen. I'm just telling you right now. So put your seat butt on and get ready for it. Try not to desecrate the altar up here. 600,000 angels came to accompany Yaakov back to the land of Israel with great joy. Where did they come from? As we know, every time a person does a good deed, an angel is created. Huh? Yeah, yeah. You read that back in Toldot. Vayera, uh, my bad. So God honored him by sending him another escort of angels from on high. And that's when Yaakov said, these aren't mine. These are God's angels right here. This was a place of two camps of angels, those created by his own good deeds and those sent by God from on high, and that's from the Yad Yosef. So far, so good, huh? So something is unripe and therefore necessary in order for God to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. You need to be ripe. You need to be ready for the harvest, right? That's kind of the message I'm getting so far. Now let's go to verse 4. Yaakov sent messengers ahead of him 
to Esau, his brothers, toward the land of Seir, the country of Edom. With these instructions, here is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Yaakov says, I have been living with Levon and have stayed until now. I have cattle, donkeys, and flocks, and male and female servants. I am sending to tell this news to my Lord in order to win your favor. The messengers returned to Yaakov saying, We went to your brother Esav, and he's coming to meet you with 400 men. This verse, verse 4, Yaakov sent messengers, is the beginning of parasha Vaishlach. Shlach means to send, right? It is the eighth parasha, represented obviously by the letter Chet, right? And here's a little something that I've learned to do over the last year or so, is to take the very first word or verse or, for, or first couple verses of every parasha and count. Just start counting. Count the words, count the letters in those verses, count what the number of the parasha is, and that may help you get down the road when you start reading this parasha. For instance, for instance, what do we have here? 11 words, verse 1. 44 letters. Counted on myself. And what is this parasha about? Yaakov. Yaakov is the 22nd descendant from Adam. 11 and 44 factors of 22. How many letters are in the second verse? 59. Counted on myself. What is 5 plus 9? Come on. 14. How many years did Jacob work for two wives? No, I'm just, I'm asking a question. I'm asking. So, Shalak, now we're starting to unlock a, a few mysteries here. Y'all like this so far? Come on. Come on now. Shalak should be very familiar to us because our mikvah is named after it. Every time you take a mikvah in mikvah shaloah, you are being sent because that word is shalak. Where are you being sent? Where are you being sent once you take the mikvah? Yeshua said to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what he said. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Shalak, though, also means weapon. A missile of attack. A spear. A branch. A shoot of growth. Man, I just feel like just letting it just... Mm. And then Shiloh, obviously, is the fountain in Jerusalem. So... We just got started. We've, we've come here to verse 4, and we said, oh, okay, so here's a Torah portion. Now, according to the Mayam Loez, Rabbi Yaakov Kuli says that some people read this entire chapter every Saturday night after Havdalah. Because there is a belief, according to the Ramban and Bachya, that there is spiritual power in this chapter that causes its reader to be well-liked. There's some things we can learn from Yaakov Avinu, right? There's some principles that perhaps we can incorporate into our lives just by reading this chapter. Number one is prayer. Number two is tribute. And number three is escape. When Jews live among Gentiles, we need to know what to do, how to do that. There has to be some parameters. There has to be some guardrails on the road. We need to know how to behave, and Yaakov shows us this. There's a lot of Gemara, a lot of Machloket going back and forth on this passage 
on how we should respond, especially uh, as Kalal Israel. Notice when a natural disaster happens, who's the first one on the scenes is Israel. There's, a, there's, there's an opportunity to bless those that are not us. There's an opportunity to stay ahead of the curve and make sure we stay prayed up and make sure we, we have the proper means to pay tribute when it comes time and make sure we know where to go if we need to go somewhere. So far, so good? Something else that we learn from Weishlach here is that there's this guy named Laban. Now this ain't just an ordinary guy, as Rabbi mentioned last week. This guy is the father of Beor, who's the father of Balaam. You are talking about masters of the dark arts. And none of them was more qualified than Laban. Not even Balaam, if you can believe that. So Laban, when it says he blessed his children, do you want him laying hands on your kids? No, I'm out. I'm out. Get your hands on my child. Yeah. No, that ain't, that ain't the way it's going to go down in my house. In fact, if you want to talk to me, Laban, I'll meet you out on the street. Just don't even come in the yard. Don't even pull in the driveway. So now we know that there's a supernatural, magical element to this chapter. See, and this is the thing that really gets us in trouble, is that we walk around and we, we got, you know, we're doing what we do. We're living how we live. And we just forget that there are dark powers out there. You cannot lose your edge. You have to always be on guard. I'm sorry, but you just can't trust everybody. You know? You just have to learn the correct protocol on how to be a Jew in this non-Jewish world. And you have to learn where to buy your food. You have to learn where your synagogue is. You have to learn where the mikveh is. You have to learn how to read Hebrew at some level. You can't just look at the Bible for what it is at the Peshat because the rabbis say only fools stop at that level. The Torah is a body. And if you stop at just the basic level, well, this is what the Bible says. Well, guess what? You're just at the skin level. You know? The Torah is a lot more prettier than just being skin deep. And the rabbis say that the deeper you go, the more wiser you become because you start to understand there's more than just letters on a page. It's more than just a book like the world thinks it is. But it actually is a soul. It is a neshama. And this is where the chokmah from the chazal, they come from with all the machloket. And me and Dorothy, we get into it, man. She's like, why do they ask those questions? I said, they're getting into it. You got to get into it. The, the, the beauty of Torah is that you're trying to understand the soul of God. And this is what Chazal say is where chokmah and true wisdom comes from. When you take that time. Look at everything we have uncovered in just, what, two verses, three verses? So now we've, we've, we're, we're starting to unlock some mysteries. We're going down the road a little bit. Where else do we come? Go down the road and we find what the Ma'am Loez calls Edom's field. He says here that Seir means goat. Did y'all know that? Yeah, Esau. Hairy goat. How about that? Esau wanted to remind himself constantly that Jacob had worn the skins of young goats so that his arms would seem hairy. Ser Ot. When he tricked Isaac into blessing him. Edom means red, the color of the stew for which Esau had sold his birthright. Why the hate? Why did Esau hate Jacob so much? Why do the Jews always suffer hatred from those that are non-Jews? Why? It's a good question. Why can't I just be me without always looking, looking around my back? Because that's how Jacob was. 
Esau had a grudge. You never know. So by Shlach, after Havdalah, you can read this chapter and get powered up. I'm ready. And as Shoma Man said in the Ali, hey, how about that Ali all day, huh? Woo! Man, how about that Ali all day, boy? I'm going to tell you. He said, release the Karakians. And when that Karakian is released, you're powered up. You're by Shlach. You're fixing to send it somewhere else. You better get on up out of here. I'm out. So we've, we've, we've got a mystery here that Vaishlak, you are being sent into a world full of sorcery and dark magic. You are being surrounded by people who hold a grudge against you, something you may have done a long time ago. And you think everything's cool. Yeah. You think everything's cool, but it's not cool. Sometimes it'll work out, and sometimes it won't. And when those times happen in our lives, when they don't work out, we need to know how to properly respond, maintain honor and integrity with God, and try our very best to maintain uh, proper decorum with our neighbors. If all else fails, then you know what happens after that. There's a lot of stories in the Bible that are at that point after peace negotiations come to a halt. So, what else did we learn from this little passage we just read? What does it say? It says that Jacob sends a message to Esau's angels. How many years has Jacob been gone? Come on. talk. 20? Been gone 20 years. Been gone 20 years. In Bamidbar chapter 1, verse 3. Now, this just, this just came to me, man. I, I was talking to Shoberman about this like, can you believe this? 20 years old is when you bear arms in the Israel conscription service to defend your homeland. Not when you're 19, not when you're 18, not when you're 17, but when you're 20 years old is when you suit up and you are counted among the adults. And when you're an adult, you got to pay taxes. That's another thing that happens. <laughs> 20 is represented by the letter Kaf. And Kaf is in the shape of a hand. So we have this idea that Hashem will need and will use your Hand if you give it to him. If you give him your hand. He's put talents. He's put gifts. He's put a calling on your life. And maybe, who knows how long it takes for you or for me or for... We all have different lengths of time before we actually get it. But when you get it, you realize, oh, that's who I am. That's what I'm supposed to do. This is my avodah. This is my way to engage and serve. Amen? Because here's the deal that we've learned so far. Esau is right around the corner. Esau comes from Aseh. Inside of his word is the word Aseh. Naaseh v'nishma. Aseh is to do. Aseh is to make something. What is Esau trying to make? He's trying to make a mess is what he's trying to make. Also... If you have the sheen, the ayn, and the resh, you have hair, that's sehar. And then if you have sha'ar, same letters, you have a door. You have a door. You have a gate. So I'm going to tell you a chadasha that came to me. And I couldn't believe it. I said, show man, you better get up. I don't care. It was late at night. I said, I, I got to talk to you. Because there is a famous, and we're going to come back to it, but there's a famous Gemara that says the Messiah is at the gates of Rome. Right? What nation represents the gates of Rome? Rome. Rome comes from where in the Bible? Edom. So could it be that that Gemara has some sort of representation here in this story? We're going to come right back to it. We'll come right back to it. 
How many men did Esau bring with him? 400? 400 is the, va the value of Tav. Tav means mark. Tav is the mark or the sign of the covenant. Now I'm going to read something to you. Uh, oh, it's, it's not in this book. Let's see, where is it? The Perke, de, yeah, it is, yeah, it is. Perke, uh, Perke de Rabbi Eliezer said that Esau hated the covenant of circumcision. He's bringing 400 men with him because anytime you see a number value in, the, in, when you, in your studies, right off the bat you ought to say, okay, where else in the Bible is that number? Where else is 400? How many pieces of silver did Abraham buy the cave of Machpelah with? 400. 400. So what is Esau saying? Esau, it's, it, there is a battle between Jacob and Esau on who has the right to the cave of Machpelah. Let's just, let's just flow with that idea for a minute. Look at verse 8. Bereshit 32, 8. Yaakov became greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people, flocks, the cattle, camels with him into two camps, saying, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, at least the camp that is left will escape. How many camps? Two camps. Then Yaakov said, God of my father, Avraham and God of my father Yitzhak Adonai who told me return to your country and your kinsmen and I will do you good I'm not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you have shown your servant since I crossed the Jordan with only my staff but now I have become two camps Please, rescue me from my brother Esau, for I'm afraid of him. I'm afraid he'll come and attack me without regard for mothers and children. You said, I will certainly do you good and make your descendants as numerous as the grains of the sand by the sea, which are so many they can't be counted. Now see, Jacob is able to pray like this because even in his exile, he was studying Torah. That was a Torah on the outside of the land of Israel. Anybody know what that feels like? Studying Torah in exile? Y'all don't understand. Y'all come, come over to my house. I'll tell you all about it. But Jacob said, I want you to tell Esau that I have been keeping the 613 commandments. That's what he said. I stayed with Laban. I was a Gartee. Garti has the same letters as Taryag, the number of 613. But really, he's not telling that for Esau's sake. He's saying that for the angels' sake. So that the angels would bring it to Esau's guardian angel. Now check this out. Isaac became blind because the angels wept when he was bound on the altar to be sacrificed and their tears fell into his eyes. There's many midrashim on how did Isaac become blind. This is a midrash from Bereshit Rabbah and Rashi on Parshat Toldot. So Jacob could have said, if God did not want me to have the blessings, why did he let Isaac go blind? It's fair. And then, of course, the same argument can be made from Esau saying, well, why didn't you let me bring the food? So here they go. They're going to get into it. This type of warfare can weigh you down because you're in exile and you have this feeling and this longing of going home. How are you going to do it? How are you going to navigate the rough waters of this world to get home? In fact, the feeling, talking, Rabbi, you're talking about being depressed. I, I bet you everybody in this room has felt what you felt this morning. And I'll tell you, if you, if you read this 
passage here, you can kind of see Yaakov is scared. He said he was greatly frightened. He said, save me from my brother and save me from the hand of Esau. Hatzeleni na miyad achi miyad esav. That's what he prayed. Hatzeleni na miyad achi. Look at what he's saying. He's saying, deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau. Aren't they one and the same? Why is there a repetition here? Ah, man, this goes into some, wow, this is beautiful, beautiful. Now, there are some sources, the Ma'am Loez being included, where it's, it just uh, brings in a lot of sources for you to go through. These are the same type of prayers that David prayed when David was under that fear and that distress and that anxiety. I'm going to read something to you from Perke de Rebbe Eliezer. And this is on page 309. Let me get there. I'll read a story on how Esau died. Ready for this? Now remember, remember this. There is already a link with the prayer that Yaakov is praying. He is praying deliverance from the hand of his brother and the hand Miyad Esav. Look at this. When they came to the cave of Machpelah, Esau came against them. Oh, really? From Mount Oreb to stir up strife. Did he now? Saying, the cave of Machpelah is mine. Remember those 400 men? Remember those 400 pieces of silver Abraham used to buy this cave? What did Joseph do? He sent Naphtali. Can I get a witness for Naphtali? Naphtali, subdue the constellations and go down to Egypt and bring up the perpetual deed which has between them. Naphtali's a hind let loose. Let it go. Let it go. Go get the deed. And Hushim, the son of Dan, he, was, he had some defective hearing and defective speech. Look at what Hushim said. He said, why are we just sitting here? What happened? He was pointing to Esau with his finger. They said, because this man will not let us bury our father Jacob. And what did he do? He drew out his sword and cut off Esau's head. Sent his body back to the hairy goat land of Seir and Edom and put his head in the cave. Chushim said, I ain't got time. Nobody's got time for this. What did King David do to Goliath? No, I'm just saying. I'm talking about warfare here. I'm talking about the right to being uh, placed where your ancestors are. I'm talking about grabbing hold of the cave of Machpelah. This war has a spiritual, tangible, I mean supernatural events going on and it all has to do with who's going to be buried at the cave of Machpelah. Who really has the ties to Abraham? Is it you or is it me? I've got the 400 soldiers. I've got the 400 pieces of silver. What do you have? Jacob says, that's a good point. Because I ain't got 400. That's what Jacob said. So that's the question I have to you. What right do you have to go to Abraham's cave? What right do, I, does, do we have? And that's a question every Jew should ask. Ho, 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 ho. Father Abraham had many sons, right? Now I'm going to tell you something. Every time the Jews, is it already? Tw I'm going to take a <laughs> clock just exploded. Beis Halevi said that he was afraid of the brother who would try to kill him but he was even more afraid of the Esau that would come as a friend. Wow. Let me say that again. 
He was afraid of the brother who would try to kill him, but he's even more afraid of the friendly Esau. Now, I'm talking about how am I going to be sent to do Hashem's bidding in exile? How's that even going to work out for me? I'm surrounded by the Esau's of the world. Now, we're talking about killers, murderers, people that hate you just because you got to keep on. You can't wear a keeper in Europe. No, you can't do that. I, it's probably 80, 90 percent of the places in Europe. You can't wear a, a keeper. You better hide it. They'll come up and stab you right in your back. So how are you going to survive? What are you going to do? How can I overcome this fear and this dread? Well, sometimes there is a danger to the goof, and sometimes there's a danger to the neshama. Many times throughout the history of Israel, the dangers to the goof were accepted because the neshama was strong. You look at all the periods of persecution, all the prayers of fear and distress, all the cries for Mashiach like Rabbi did today, all of those mitzvahs that you have sent out and all those angels that you have created, where are they? When will they come? Remember, you're only going to get out of serving God what you put in. The total number of angels that come help you will be the ones you created, so to speak, right? That's why when I show up to the mikvah house, I saw Rabbi Rebbesine with a diving board. I said, what y'all doing? <laughs> They're going to get the most out of those mikvahs than anybody. They got the most invested in it. I said, I ain't going to tell nobody that that happened, but I just did. I'm sorry. <laughs> you never know when you need those angels' help. You have to send those out. And if you send them out, Hashem will send you out. Because that was the order of the reading. You send them out, Hashem sends you out. Listen, he's not going to, he can't use an unripe fruit. The angels met him. They paga, they pog. He was unripe. Jacob was not ready to face Esau. Have you ever felt that in your life? Have you felt, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to give that drosh this week. I'm not ready. We're out of wine, babe. I ain't ready. That's right. That's what I did. That's what I did. I knew you would. And what does Yeshua say? What does it profit a man? Y'all know the rest of that. The neshama is what we're fighting for. It was, there's a famous quote by the Lubavitcher Rebbe that says, it was easier to be from in Siberia than in suburbia. Huh? I want you to think, when all the Jews under persecution, they weren't allowed to be lawyers, weren't allowed to be doctors, weren't allowed to have positions of esteem within the community of Galus, Galut, of exile. So what did they do? They studied Torah. They put their mind to use. They went to yeshiva. And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes you need to ripen before Hashem can send you out. There are times where you have to go to the Beit HaMidrash and study and learn and pray. You're not ready yet. But when you're ready, you cannot deny the call. And these moments of persecution while we're in exile, are actually necessary to ripen the fruit and to strengthen your neshama. Because the things that come at you from your body, they can't touch your soul. Because your soul is not from here. Right? Now, come on. I know that's a good word. In fact, there have been moments in history where the rabbis prayed, should we allow the overthrow of our government? Yes, we, do. we don't even have money to buy food. We are poorer than dirt. 
Our people are sick. And the overthrow of this government is supposed to just deliver us and set us free. But will it corrupt our neshama in the process? Because right now we're all hanging on to the words of God. Right now nothing can separate and pull us away from the word of God. But when we're free, when all these green pastures are shown to us, when we can look out and see all this big, beautiful world, things to do, places to go, huh? You're going to be working on your neshama? Come on. Verse 14. Check it out. He stayed there that night, and he chose from among his possessions the following as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 males. Remember what I told you all about numbers. That's 220. 200 female sheep and 20 males. That's another 220. 30 milk camels and their colts. 40 cows and 10 bulls. 20 female donkeys and 10 colts. That's 110. He turned them over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, Cross over in front of me and keep a space between each drove and the next one. He instructed the servant in front, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, whose servant are you? Where are you, where are you, gonna, where are you going? And whose animals are these? Then you're to say, they belong to your servant, Yaakov. And they are a present he has sent to my lord, Esau. The word present is mincha. And Yaakov himself just behind us. He also instructed the second servant and the third and all that followed the droves. When you encounter Esau, you are to speak to him in the same way. And you are to add, and there, just behind us, is your servant Yaakov. For he said, I will appease him up first with the presence that goes ahead of me. And then after that, I will see him myself. And maybe he will be friendly toward me. So the present crossed over ahead of him. And he himself stayed that night in the camp. The Baal Haturim says that the word minkva, minkva, listen to that, mincha is valued at 103, which is the same gematria for evadnim, precious stones. Evan, right? Aleph, Ben, right? Get you some of that. Son of the Father. So these presents are going before him, these precious stones. And the gematria, or the value 440, is the same gematria as met. Mem tav, which, which is dead. Met means dead. Mat means not a man, but men, a group of men. That's 440. What does 110 mean? Am, Ein Mem, the people, the nation. So he's coming to him. He's saying, I am dead before you. There's a nation in me and my people, and we come. We are nothing. We have nothing. To, we are here to serve you. Verse 23. He got up that night and took his two wives his two slave girls, and his eleven children, and forded the Yabok. When he took them, he sent them across the stream, then sent his possessions across, and Yaakov was left alone. Then some man wrestled with him until daybreak. Luchodador style. When he saw that he did not defeat Yaakov, he struck Yaakov's hip socket so that his hip was dislocated while wrestling with him. The man said, let me go because it's daybreak. Yaakov replied, I won't let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? He answered, Yaakov. Then the man said, from now on you will no longer be called Yaakov but Israel, because you have shown your strength to both God and men and have prevailed. Yaakov asked him, well, what's your name? He said, don't ask me about my name. Don't worry about that. And he blessed him. He blessed him. I fully believe that is the problem with our generation right there, is that we've got a lot of people that walk around without the blessing of God on their lives. Just not blessed. Just haven't done the work of looking in the mirror because 
when I read Genesis 32, I see Jacob looking in the mirror and Esau looking back at him. Remember, these guys are twins. He sees himself. And from the very first moment, Rabbi gave me this chapter, I, Shomer man, ain't that what I said? I said, I have a feeling there's something to do with the mirror in here, looking inside the mirror. So I'm just minding my own business, drafting up the drosh, looking at sources, have them all spread it on the table, and what happens? Look what the Ari's all said. What did the Ari's all say? He said, let me tell you something, everybody. No, he didn't say that. But he did say that the value of the Yavok River is 112, which is the same value of Yudkevavk plus Elohim. That's what he said. I didn't write that. That's what he said. So now we, we go back to the gate. We go back to this door, right? The battle of the doors. Who's going to enter the cave of Machpelah? Who has right to the 400 pieces of silver that Abraham gave for the, for the cave? And what does he say? The Arizal says that these... Yud, K, Vav, K, and Elohim is the same as that of Jabok. He says, as we have explained previously, the, the Yavok brook is associated with the struggle between good and evil. This is where Yaakov wrestled with the angel of Esau. Now, I read that and I said, oh, okay, we're getting closer to what I was, I was feeling. He says the struggle is the struggle between Jacob and Esau. And Esau does not seek to attack Jacob until he has completed his developmental stage of intellectualization of the insight and has emerged from it to read to enter the land of Israel. So I was thinking, there, this is not, no, this cannot be. Jacob's, I mean Esau's angels that he's, that, and there's, listen, when you study rabbinic, when you study Chazal, you're going to have many options of what to, what happened. The rabbis cannot agree on who this guy is. They just can't do it. I mean, they sound like they're coming to blows too on some of these guys saying, well, he was a bandit. No, he wasn't. He was a shepherd. No, he wasn't. He was Michael the angel. No, he wasn't. He was Esau's angel. And they're throwing down. And I'm standing up. I said, can I, have, can, I, can I say something? I would just like to say that the Baal Haturim says that a man wrestled is the same gematria as Kisei Kavod, the throne of glory. And then I'll just leave the conversation and let it go. Let it go. Go get it, boys. I don't think Esau's angel can hang like that. I don't think he's Kisei Kavod. I don't think that Esau's angel is the one who changed Jacob's name to Israel. Come on. And I know for sure Esau's angel does not own this gate, this door at the Jabok River. Because the gematria of that is Yudkevavke and Elohim. The same, 112. So remember, we started this whole study out with spiritual warfare. There was an unripe fig that needed to be ripe, needed... After 20 years, he came back. We have a precedence that when you're 20 years old, you are ready for service and taxes. He said that the man is breaking. What did it say? What did it say back in the scripture? Uh, wrestled with him. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. How about that? Daybreak. The breaking of dawn, as they say, is alot. The same way from Beha, Aloteka, from a couple weeks ago. There's a rising up that the priest must do to light the menorah. This is the same rising up that the dew waters the earth with. 
The word Allah is to rise up, to set up this man that is wrestling with Yaakov is making an Olah offering. Can we say that? Can we say that? If you take the gematria of Ash 311 and you take the gematria of Alot 105 and you subtract 105 from 311, you have 206, which is the gematria for the Var, which is the gematria for the Word of God. It said, when the stranger saw that he could not defeat him, he touched the upper joint of his thigh. Vayaki lo yacho lo vayiga. Vayiga. The word being naga, which means to strike, to reach, to touch it. The same word used in Exodus Shemot 12 when you are to strike the doorpost with the blood of the Lamb. Talking about an Ola offering. And what did Yaakov call the name of this place? Peniel, the face of God. Verse 31, Yaakov called the place Peniel, the face of God, because I have seen God face to face, yet my life is spared. He didn't say I saw Esau's angel face to face. I didn't see a bandit face to face. I, didn't, I saw a shepherd face to face. He doesn't know what he said. Anyway. The sun rose upon him. He went on past Peniel, limping at the hip. You know, when he left, back in chapter 28, it says the sun set. And now the sun is rising. Hmm? Now get that. You talking about, Rabbi, you talking about a while ago being in darkness. This world is dark. You know, this is a healing word for you too because when you experience stuff as the head of the shul, we all are joined with you in that. The only way for darkness to be destroyed is through light. It's a very simple concept. But when Yaakov left the land, it became dark. The sun set. Why did it set? Because Yaakov wasn't there. But the sun didn't rise on Yaakov coming back. The sun rose on Israel to the land. And the only way you can link yourself to Israel is to go to the gates of Rome because that's where Sanhedrin, that's where the Gemara says the Messiah is. This is why to this day the people of Israel do not eat the thigh muscle that passes along the hip. If you're buying unkosher ground beef, I will guarantee you you're eating this nerve. 100%. It's all mixed up in there. That's why, you know, you want to buy some chicken? Hey, don't buy that ground meat. Do not buy unkosher ground beef. Because that's got the sciatic nerve in there. Because this man struck Yaakov's hip at the socket. Don't buy unkosher chicken either. But anyways. Uh, here's what Rabbi Raphael Hirsch said. I'm almost done. I thought I blew that. Jared, I thought I blew that clock up up there. Man, what? I like you. I like you. I like Eshai. Okay. It says, it may be well have been suggested. It may well have been the Esau within Yaakov who is haunting the patriarch with guilt and jealousy. You know your, your own worst enemies yourself. You, I mean, you know that, right? If you really allow Hashem to mold you and make you. You're only going to fear Him. And the thing that's going to plague you the most is Esau, the Esau that's within us. Yaakov receives the victory name Israel from the stranger. He has prevailed against men and God. In what way? He finally confronted the twin personality within himself. Now, this was after I had already told Shomer Man what I felt like Hashem was saying in Vaishlak. And I found this quote. Subscribe to these guys. Rabbi Hirsch, this was, I mean, actually, this was uh, Shlomo, Shlomo Riskin's uh, commentary on the Parsha. So I want to close with this. 
our real nature and our real identity as Jews in exile has to be defined through our encounter with Mashiach. 100%. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see Esau? Do you see Israel? And here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to suggest that this famous passage in the Gemara, Sanhedrin 98a, it says, Rabbi Ben Levi met Eliyahu by the entrance of Bar Yochai, Shim, Shim, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's tomb and asked him, when will the Messiah come? Hey, what you said? Just, just today. When will the Messiah come? And Eliyahu said, go ask him yourself. And I'm going to say the same thing Eliyahu said. Go ask him yourself. Where is he? He's at the entrance of Rome. How will I recognize him? Ah, he's sitting among the lepers. They're untying, untying all their bandages at once and retying them all at once. But he's not. He's doing his each bandage separately just in case somebody calls his name. And he must not be delayed so he can go. Where is the gates of Rome? Is it not at the gates of Edom? Did not Yaakov look in the mirror, wrestle with a man, get you some of that, an angel, yeah. Wrestle with an angel, Gematria of Kisei Kavod, at the gate of Rome, the gate of Edom, right? The gate of the cave of Machpelah, you remember what Hushim did? He said, I ain't going down like this. And so did David. So when you're in exile, you are living amongst a lot of darkness, supernatural powers, and none of it can compare to these moments where you go and you talk to the leper scholar. And you say, hey, I'm feeling a little leprous, rejected. I don't know if I can go home. He said, just needs a name change. That's all you need. All you need is a name change. How do you get the name change? You apply the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Because that's what it was. The word Naga. As he touched his hip. That's how you get the name change. Now the question is. You just got to believe it. Amen. Amen. Alright that concludes our study on Genesis 32.